begin this morning with a parable. And a parable is a story that communicates truth, even though the details of the story may not be true in themselves. Uh, And I think that's important to remember this morning. They left Jerusalem on a Saturday after Jesus was crucified and he was buried. There were a handful of families, some old and some young, who were brokenhearted. They loved their Jesus. They'd been following Jesus. They followed his teachings. But now he was dead and he was in the tomb. And they couldn't get out of Jerusalem fast enough. There's fear of the Pharisees, fear of those in power who had put Jesus to death. There was squabbles that they didn't want to be concerned with. They believed his teachings were true. True enough to live by, to continue to live by despite Jesus' death, and so they left. They left the city of Jerusalem, and they went out into the wilderness, and they found a new place, a little off the road and away from things. They ran away from the mess, but that didn't keep them from following the teachings of Jesus. They continued to commit their lives to him, to tell the story of the sermon he had preached on the mount, to tell the parables that Jesus had taught, to tell the stories of the miracles and the incredible things that he did. And they on and on continued this way of life, and they moved from a few families into a community that continued to tell these stories. And over years, even over a hundred years, they lived this way of life, continuing to tell the stories and teaching their children about the community of Jesus. And one day, a stranger came to town, a stranger who, they didn't know this, but was a Christian missionary. And so they did what they did with every stranger who came into town because they were following the commands of Jesus. They welcomed this stranger in. They held a feast in his honor. They gave him food. They gave him drink. They gave him shelter. They honored him with a feast because this is what Jesus had taught them to do. So they're at the feast and they're talking and all of a sudden the mayor begins to tell this Christian missionary about their community, about the Jesus that they followed, about his death on that Friday and about the teaching of the commands that they kept all these years and the Christian missionary couldn't believe what he was hearing because he realized this was a community that knew the teachings but hadn't heard the good news about what happened to Jesus after that Friday. So he begins to tell them the story. He tells them what happened on the first day of the week. He tells them what happened when the women came to the tomb. He tells them what happened when Peter went into the tomb. He tells them about Pentecost. He tells them about the church that began. They knew nothing about that the Holy Spirit was empowering and moving through. And he's told them the good news of Jesus' resurrection. The people began to respond. I'll tell you a bit more about that response a little bit later in our message. Let's pray this morning. Father, I, I give thanks for your word for the truth that's found within it, God, the way it continues to inspire our lives and call us to more. This morning, I I, want to pronounce blessing on the same people you did, God. For those of us who feel right now that we are pure in heart, I, I pronounce blessing. And for those of us who feel like there's more room to grow, I pray blessing as well. We might become people who are clean and holy before you, but people who are also singledly minded, following you in everything we do. This morning, God, I pray you'd pour through me the gift of preaching so that Christ would be formed in all of our hearts. And it's in the name of Jesus that we pray. Amen. 
you have your Bibles this morning, open with me, if you would, to Matthew chapter 5. This is a section of the Sermon on the Mount where Jesus pronounces blessings on a group of people. Matthew 5, verse 8 is where I'll read right now. Jesus says, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Now, I want to talk a little bit later in our time this morning about what it means to see God. Because I think that's something that a lot of us long to see in our lives. I want to start by looking at this word pure. What does it mean to be the people who are pure in heart? Who is it that Jesus is blessing? Now, I grew up in, in church all my life. My dad was a preacher, and so I, I was in youth group for, for several years. And anytime purity would come up, in fact, it would almost come up every single Sunday as I'm remembering it. It was always around one topic. It was sexual purity. So when I read these words about the pure in heart, I can't help but go there. But I when I read this and, and, and dwell on it more this week, I realize purity of heart is a whole lot larger than just that topic, isn't it? And this morning I want to point us and draw our attention even broader than the purity we talk about in our youth groups. Maybe we need to talk more about in our churches and adults. But it's a broader topic that I want to point to this morning. I want to point to two different things that I, I want us to think about. Two understandings of purity when it comes to the way Scripture describes it. One key understanding of a pure heart has to do with, I think, what most of us would go to. It, it, it's about goodness. It's about cleanliness. It's about holiness. So what does it mean uh, to be those things? For example, purified water. It is water that's uh, had all of its uh, things that, that really made it dirty, made it uh, not healthy for our bodies. It gets purified those things out, and it's only pure once those extra qualities are, are taken out of it. In Ezekiel 36, God actually talks about this kind of purity, this cleanliness of heart uh, that I want to read to us this morning. It's Ezekiel 36, beginning in verse 24. This is what God says. For I will take you out of the nations, he says to Israel. I will gather you from all the countries and bring you back into your own land. I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all your impurities and from all your idols. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh and I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to follow my laws. God's saying to Israel, there's a, a day coming where your heart of stone is going to get removed and I'm going to again cleanse you. I'm going to give you my spirit to live out the commands that I've given to you. This is good news and it's a purity of heart that God's promising to cleanse you from all of those impurities. And for those of us who are who've committed ourselves to Jesus in baptism, isn't this a little bit of what we were doing, right? It's committing ourselves to be cleansed from those sins in the past, washed away, but also committing to have a new spirit that lives inside of us that leads us to a new and better way of life. But we all know, for those of us who've taken that part of our journey, that our hearts don't remain pure all the time, even after that decision. And so we have to come back and ask God. We have to beg God to give us a clean heart once again. And there's another scripture I want to point us to where uh, an important person in the Old Testament cries out to God for this very thing. Psalm 51 is a psalm that David writes. It's an incredible psalm, and I've gone back to it many points in my life. If, if you find yourself right now in a place where you feel caught in sin, I want to point you to this passage because to me it's the, the prayer of a person who desires to be cleansed once again. David's been caught in, in, in quite a mess, King David. He, uh, he'd slept with another man's wife, and that man was a, one of his soldiers that was out on the battlefield. And he'd actually had that soldier killed so that he could have Bathsheba 
for his own. It was a real mess in his life. And following that scene, David cries out again to God. This comes from Psalm 51, beginning in verse 10. David cries out, Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation. And grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. I think it's important for us to hear this. That It's important we're cleansed at first, but it's important to remember we can always come back to God and cry out for this cleansing that God promises us. Cry out for a cleansed heart. What we do every Sunday when we come together in some senses. And it's to redirect our paths and it's to confess our sins and be made right before Him again. And I want to tell you, if you're, you're new to our church, we're so glad that you're here, that you're beginning to join us on our journey. And I want to assure you, if you think maybe that church is the place you have to come and clean everything off and act like everything's okay, we're not that kind of people. In fact, if you, if you just look around you for a moment, I'm serious, just look around you, I'll tell you, the people sitting next to you, they're not perfect. They're messed up people. Can we get an amen this morning? It's okay to say that about our neighbors, right? Like, we don't have it right. If you're looking for a perfect preacher, there's probably someone down the road, but I'm not that guy. And our elders aren't either. We're a church that's on a journey toward God, and we make mistakes and in fact, if, if, if you're in one of those mistakes right now, I want to encourage you, go to, go to Celebrate Recovery. It's a great place to be finding a place to be cleansed and to find a steps toward healing. A lot of us have found healing in so many great ways in this church. That's just one example. I want you to know that this isn't a perfect place. In fact, I say this to our guests when they come through our Discovering Green Blokes class. I try to tell every one of those classes, I can only guarantee you one thing about this church. We will disappoint you at some point. Because we're humans, and we mess that up, and we're not perfect. But what I can also tell you is if you'll stick around, you'll experience the grace of God in a way you never will if you don't remain committed to a people who will sometimes mess up along the way. This is not a, a perfect place for perfect people. God promises the same thing to Israel in the same sense. That this community of faith I'm building is a people that you're going to journey with. It's not going to be perfect. It's not going to be easy. But, but, but partner with us and see what God does through His grace. So one part of purity is this. It's to desire a pure heart, a clean heart, a good heart, a holy heart. But there's another part of purity that I want to talk about this morning that maybe isn't the first thing we go to when we think about purity. That second idea is having to do with being undiluted. Undiluted. We know the cleanliness part when we think about purity, but purity is also to be undiluted in our faith with God. In Jesus' day, wine was one of those things that they would often... Uh, dilute. They would put water into the wine, but the wine wasn't at its best in those moments. In fact, the, the wine that Jesus creates in, 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 in his story at Cana is good wine. It's better than the other wine that's been diluted. A leper was considered pure if it had, uh, if the, the person would come before a priest and demonstrate there was no sickness or no, no problem in their bodies, and the priest would restore them back into community. Same thing's true with gold. The gold is pure gold if it doesn't have other alloys or other metals that are in it. And I would suggest that Jesus is saying the same thing to us. Blessed are the pure in heart. Blessed are those who are undiluted. Blessed are the undivided, the unadulterated, the single-minded in heart, for they will see God. In other words, purity of heart is also to will one thing. Soren Kierkegaard, a Danish philosopher, once wrote a book uh, called Purity of heart is to will one thing. And I really like that definition. And it's so easy in our busy schedules and our lives to be fragmented and to go in different directions. But part of the call of the gospel is to be focused in one direction. 
to have one master. Uh, it's not just, though, in, in the Beatitudes that Jesus talks about this idea. And I want to quickly kind of look through the Sermon on the Mount with you. If you have your Bibles, open up there to Matthew 5-7. through 7, Because throughout this sermon, Jesus comes back to this key theme about purity of heart, about being undiluted, have, willing one thing together. Uh, the first of those passages comes in Matthew chapter 6, verse 19. Listen to the words of Jesus later in the sermon. He, he comes back to this whole idea. Jesus says, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moths and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? Now listen to verse 24. No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Jesus is talking about pure in heart, isn't he? Be undiluted, to will one thing. He's saying, he doesn't say you should not love and serve both God and money. What does he say? He says you cannot serve both God and money. You've got a choice in your life. One master is going to win out over the other. And to be people who are pure in heart is to decide there's a master that's going to be the master of my life, the Lord over my life. And either it's going to be other things in our lives or it's going to be Jesus. It's going to be, uh, the, is, is going to be the one who does this. James, the brother of Jesus, talks about this in the book that he writes. And he talks about those who are double-minded. The, the call of Jesus, the call of the Christian life is to be single-minded, not to be focused on different things, but to have our, our sole focus on Jesus and his way of life that he calls us to. So we're called to will one thing. That's part of what it means to be pure in heart. Another pa- passage in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, verse 20. Jesus talks more about this idea again. He says, Therefore I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. Now, people would have been shocked by this verse when when Jesus shares it. Because they're thinking, greater than the Pharisees? How in the world would I ever become more righteous than the Pharisees? The Pharisees were a people who were the teachers of the law. They were the religious elite of their day. They knew Scripture well. They were seeking to follow it with everything they had, it seemed. They kind of have a bad rap today because of, what Jesus says to him, but in that day and age, that would have seemed impossible. How would our righteousness ever surpass the righteousness of the Pharisees? So what does that mean? What does it mean to surpass the righteousness of the Pharisees? Well, I think we get a clue later on in Matthew 23. Jesus has some hard things to say to the, the Pharisees, and even though things look good on the outside, and maybe they keep the appearance, there's more going on inside with the Pharisees. This is what it says in Matthew 23, verse 25. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You clean the outside of the cup and dish, but inside they're full of greed and self-indulgence. Blind Pharisee, first clean the inside of the cup and the dish, and then the outside will also be clean. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You're like whitewashed tombs, which look beautiful on the outside, but on the inside are full of the bones of the dead and everything unclean. In the same way, on the outside you appear to, be, to people as righteous, but on the inside you're full of hypocrisy and wickedness. 
In other words, what Jesus is saying is the Pharisees, they look great on the outside. You're wondering, how could I ever be as good as the Pharisees? But inside is a different story. There's death inside. There's impurity inside. And that's what it means to be, uh, have a pure heart. Not just pure on the outside by doing all the right rituals, but what is inside of us eventually comes outside of us, doesn't it? Inward roots are directly related to outward fruits. What we live in our lives, what we plant down deep inside of us, will find its way out. Out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks, is another passage in Scripture. So what, whatever we're, 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 we are inside is going to find its way out in some way. In Matthew chapter uh, 5, I think it is. Yeah, Matthew 5, Jesus says also in the Sermon on the Mount, He says, you've heard that it was said, do not murder. But I tell you, don't even be angry with a brother or sister. Jesus is getting at the same idea. You can focus on external behavior. Everyone knows eventually it'll get found out if you murder someone. That's a good standard. But the only way murder actually gets done in your life is if anger finds a place in your heart. Because what's inside of us finds its way outside of us. The pure heart are the ones that Jesus blessed. How are you doing right now when it comes to what's inside? Not just checking off the boxes and making sure the rituals are done and everything looks good. The Pharisees were able to do that. But a righteousness that surpasses that is a righteousness that runs deeper. He also says, you've heard that it was said, don't commit adultery. But I tell you, don't even let lust find its way into your heart. Again, what's inside of us will find its way out. And Jesus is concerned with the heart. Matthew 6, verses 1 through 18, Jesus talks about three things. He talks about how we give and how we pray and how we fast. And his advice is similar to this idea of the pure in heart. He says, all right, you can, you can do this in ways that others see, but a better way to do it is to do it where no one else knows what you're doing. I mean, pray in a way. Go in your closet when you pray. Don't pray on the street corners like the Pharisees do. It relates to what was said in Matthew 23. When you fast, don't, don't make sure everyone knows about it. Have any of you tried to fast before and everyone knew about it? God says, look, that's not the way you do this. This has got to be about a heart that's turning toward it. So what is it right now in your life? That would be a question I would, I would, I would ask you to, to, to ask this week about yourself when it comes to the purity of heart. One of those challenges or tests for us is, are you doing the things you do to be seen by others or to be seen by God? When you give your acts of service, is it something that you make sure everyone kind of knows about somehow? Or is it something you do in secret so that only God knows? You can do it in public in ways, and you'll get honor from others. But the honor that comes from God comes to those who do it in ways that no one knows. If you give, Jesus says, don't let your right hand know what your left hand is doing. Don't do it in a way that it's obvious. So these are the two ways I want us to think about purity, that it's, it's goodness, it's cleanliness, it's holiness. That's an important concept, but it's also being singular focus. It's having our insides reflect our outsides, having integrity in our lives. There's a promise that comes with this beatitude. We can finally get to that place where we're pure in heart, and the promise is that we'll get to see God. Now, in the Old Testament, that, that's not something that was actually a, a hope that people had, because the Old Testament said that God actually couldn't be seen. In fact, Exodus 33, I'm about to go through several scriptures here in pretty quick succession, so write these down, and you can check these out later this week. We'll have them up on the board as well. This is Exodus 33. We actually read this last week about mercy. But this shows up again, verse 19, about this topic. And the Lord said, I will cause all my goodness to pass in front of you. And I will proclaim my name, the Lord, in your presence. 
I will have mercy on whom I have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. But, he said, you cannot see my face, for no one may see me and live. That's the standard that God has early on. And Moses gets to kind of see God pass by, but he doesn't get to see his face. There seems not to be any hope that we can see who God is. But at the end of Scripture, actually in the final chapter of Scripture in Revelation 22, we we see a change about the hope about seeing God. This is what it says in Revelation 22, verse 3. No longer will there be any curse. The throne of God and of the Lamb will be in the city and His servants will serve Him. They will see His face and His name will be on their foreheads. So now at the end of Scripture in Revelation 22, there is a promise that we'll get to see God. It seems like a future promise perhaps about the new heavens and the new earth when we see God face to face. So there's this promise about the future that we understand, but I also want us to think about the present promise because I really do believe the pure in heart get to see God in a special way in the present moment, not just the future that God promises. Twice in, the, in John's writings, John's an apostle of Jesus who's a close friend. John writes the Gospel of John, but he also writes several letters to churches as well. And in the Gospel of John that he writes, he spent a lot of time with Jesus. In chapter 1, he actually says something uh, about this whole idea of seeing God. Twice in his writings, he says, no one has ever seen God, but... And then he has something to say about how we actually can see God. I think it's really important for us to hear these two exceptions that John gives. So the first is in John 1, verse 18. Listen to this. No one has ever seen God, but the one and only Son who is himself God and is in closest relationship with the Father has made him known. So we don't see God face to face, but in the same way, we, when we've heard the story of Jesus, when we see who Jesus is clearly, we get a glimpse of who God is. In fact, Hebrews 1 talks about how Jesus is the exact representation of who, he, of who God is. Colossians 1 says he's the image of the invisible God. We may not have ever seen God face to face, but when we see the life of Jesus as written in the Gospels, we see a picture of who God is, clearly. But there's even greater hope for those of us who want to see God. And in, in, in 1 John, a book that John writes later on in his life, 1 John uh, chapter 4 is where I'd like to read. Listen to this again, the same phrase that shows up. This is 1 John 4, uh, verse 12. Again, he says, No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and His love is made complete in us. That's pretty amazing if you think about it, right? Not just that God can't be seen, not just that no one has ever seen God, but Jesus gives a perfect picture. No, no, no. When we love properly, when we love our fellow human beings, there's something in that that displays who God is to the world. You have a chance to help people see more clearly than they've ever seen the character of who God is when we love your neighbor as yourself. That's a powerful statement. When we love each other, the impossible, no one can see God, becomes possible in a whole new way. There's another story that Jesus tells, a parable about the sheep and the goats in Matthew 25. And at the end of that parable, they say, when did we ever see you, Jesus? They were, and he says, whenever you gave to those who didn't have enough, whenever you fed the hungry, whenever you, you gave to the poor, whenever you clothed the naked, you were doing that for me. Somehow, in, in, in giving among the poor, being among the poor, we see the face of Jesus in a way we can't. Otherwise, and finally in Luke 24, 
Luke 24 is the story, uh, like the parable I told earlier. It's after Friday, and these two disciples are on their way back home to Emmaus. And, and they've kind of given up on hope that maybe this Jesus is who he said he is. And they're on the way, and they meet this stranger on the road, and they invite him to come have a meal with them. And there's this incredible scene that happens, and it happens around the table of the Lord of all places. Well, their table is what it is in that scene. Luke 24, verses 30 and 31. Let me read these these words about seeing God, the same scene. When he was at the table with them, talking about Jesus, he took bread and gave thanks and broke it and began to give it to them. Then their eyes were opened and they recognized him and he disappeared from their sight. Church, Exodus says we can't see God, right? There's a sense in which that's true. Some of us wonder, is he... Is he really there? Can I trust that God is who he's claimed in Scripture? And we cannot see God. But God has given us Jesus to see him more clearly. We cannot see God, but if we love one another, there's a sense in which we get a glimpse of who God is in our love for one another. We can't see God, but it's amazing when we're among the poor and those who have need. Sometimes in those moments we catch a glimpse of, of who God is amongst those we would never expect Him. When we, can't, we can't see God, but if we have eyes to see when we gather every Sunday around the table of the Lord, in those moments as we break the bread and as we drink the cup, something of God is seen more clearly than ever before. Pure in heart, we'll see God. I don't think it's just a future thing. I think it's a present reality. And in a sense, this beatitude seems simple, doesn't it? But it's hard. We understand that the pure in heart see God and we desire to see God, but how can I ever get to that place where I feel like, wait, I will one thing. I'm clean in every way. That's a hard place to get to. In fact, for most of us in my own life, I realize my motives are mixed when it comes to my relationship with God. As much as I want to say that I want Him and Him alone, for many of us, it's easier to love God for the blessings He offers rather than to love God and get to see Him alone. I mean, I've got to be honest, I, I, I've used God in my life. We, we use God in so many ways. We use God to improve our marriage. We use God to straighten out our kids. We use God to get a new job or to make more money or to win an election or to help us with an addiction, to make new friends. So many of us come to our relationship with God with, with ulterior motives. In fact, some of us were taught to come to God for that reason. If you'll sign up for this, then eternal life will be yours. And in the process, God becomes a means rather than the end. Becomes the thing we seek so that we can find the thing we desire most. What does the Bible call that? The Bible calls that idolatry. That the end is actually something else and God just becomes the path toward that. It's the opposite of being pure in heart. And that's not worship when we do that. When we, when we ask those questions and we get upset with God because we thought God was promising us something else and God doesn't come through, it's, it's not God who's failed. It's really our expectations that were wrong in the first place. What's true of the pure in heart? They get what they want more than anything else. Not the blessings. That's not what they were after. The pure in heart were after God. And what's the promise? You get to see God. The very thing you desired most. And for some of us, I wonder, would that be good enough? Would it be good enough to see God? Would that, is that actually the desire of our hearts, or is it something else we're after when we pursue relationship with Him? Because the, 
pure in heart get rewarded with the very thing they want most. I know a lot of you have you've lost loved ones recently. Some of you have lost parents and you've been through that journey. My guess is that for those of you who had a, a good relationship with your parents, you would give back every bit of the inheritance that you were given if you could just sit at a table and be with them. Because what you love about your parents isn't the inheritance they offer or anything beyond the relationship you wish you could have again. The same ought to be true of God. That we want Him, we desire Him most. That's the desire of our hearts. And I guarantee you, if with a pure desire you desire God most, if, if He's the undiluted pursuit of your heart, He will show up and you'll get to see Him. You'll get just what you wanted most. And for those who are pure in heart, it's enough. It's more than enough. Which brings me back to the parable that I shared earlier about the missionary and this community of people who left on that Saturday. So the missionary told the villagers the good news about the resurrected Jesus. They threw a party. Oh, a huge party, if you can believe it. Even a Christian party. They had lots of food. They had really, really good grape juice. And they were enjoying themselves. And as the party went deep into the night, the missionary looked around and realized the mayor who told the story was nowhere to be found at the party. So he left the party and he went out into the city, not a large village or city, so he looked from the places he'd expect to find the mayor and finally he went to the mayor's house and went inside and he found the mayor and the mayor was inside alone and he was weeping. The missionary wondered why. Are you okay, he said to the mayor. And the mayor said, oh, I'm okay. In fact, I'm I'm so happy to hear the end of the story. I'm so happy that Jesus is is alive, that the end wasn't the grave. He said, well, what's wrong then? He said, well, I'm I'm also worried. Because for the last hundred years, my people have loved Jesus. They've followed His commands. They've, They've pursued Him with everything they've had. They've honored Him. They've invited in the stranger. They did everything He commanded them. And now I'm afraid that My people are going to love Jesus not for He Himself, but for the blessings He comes to offer instead. They might just see God as a means to an end rather than the end we pursued for the last hundred years together. Congratulations to the pure in heart. Congratulations to those whose hearts are, are clean and are good and are holy. Congratulations to those of you who have an undiluted pursuit of God, even through the struggles in your life that you're challenged to believe. Is He real? Because when that's your desire, when you're pure in heart in those ways, congratulations, because you get what you've wanted all along. You get to see God. May we all pursue that kind of gift that God offers. Let's pray as we close our time today. Father, we're sorry for the ways we've been a community that has wanted what you offer more than we've wanted you. Right now, I confess, God, that I got into this whole story and it wasn't really about you at all. It was about what you offered. And God, I'm grateful for the gifts. I truly am. I'm grateful for the confidence that comes in knowing where our, our eternity is secure. I'm, I'm, I'm grateful for your, your Holy Spirit, God, who empowers us in all kinds of ways. I'm grateful for healing that happens in certain situations. I'm grateful for people who are even in our midst this morning that are proofs of your glory and your work, and I pray you continue to work. 
But God, I pray more and more in my life it would be less about those things and would be more about a single-hearted pursuit of you. That you would be enough, that you would be more than enough just to see your face. So God, this morning, for those who find themselves as pure in heart, I want to pronounce your blessings, God. I want to be more like them. God, for those of us who need to confess this morning, that needs to be more of our pursuit. God, would you accept our confession this morning? We desire you even more, God. God, we'll take whatever comes with it. Persecutions that we'll talk about in a couple weeks or blessings that are unexpected. God, more and more turn our hearts to see you as our sole pursuit. We love you, God. We thank you for Jesus. Thank you for your Holy Spirit. We thank you for this community of faith who is in this for you. We love love you and thank you for Jesus. It's in his name that we pray. Amen.